Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 8 of Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. I'm your host, Pippin Williamson, along with my co-host, Brad Tanar. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk, uh, kind of do our, our standard format, where we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been working on each, some noteworthy plugins, and then uh, on to our main topic of unit test. So we'll probably go ahead and get started here with talking about what we've been working on recently. Brad, why don't you start? Sure. Uh, actually, been working on uh, Migrate DB Pro, uh, the plugin that I sell. It's kind of your standard project recently. <laughs> yeah, it takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> uh, and we just released the the, the beta two of uh, version one point three that's coming out. Well, as soon as we're out of beta, I guess. Awesome. And, uh, do you have a <clears throat> do you have like a list of of beta testers that you have, or do you send them out to to uh, buyers or what, what do you do? How do you, how do you get your beta testers? Yeah. So we, uh, we kind of started like a little spreadsheet of people basically. And then I moved that to a list in campaign monitor to easily, you know, tap into and send emails to. Uh, and then today yes. I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to invite everyone to join this list. And then I added an autoresponder to it that would, send them like the details to get started beta testing so as soon as they sign up for the email list they get this this email that says this is how you can you know get started and uh i, I don't know seems to be working okay but still an experiment sure what about you what how do you do like uh, easy digital downloads how do you um when it comes to beta testers uh like for for kind of depends on the plugin like for edd uh we usually send out to our to our entire mailing list, um, as well as like Twitter and Facebook, that we have a beta, and then we'll put up a post about uh, how how people can can get the beta, how they can test it, where to put feedback. But we don't have a list of like specific beta testers, and I think that honestly, that's probably the difference between a commercial plugin and a free plugin. Um, I've done beta tests with some of my commercial plugins before too, and I've always done it exactly like you do, where you have that list of people that you send it to, uh, and it's much more of a closed beta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just opened it up today and it's just exploding. Like we only had like 20 people <laughs> and now it's like, you know, five times that today. Uh, well, it was like a half hour after I sent the email, it's like quadrupled in size. So. The, the, the number of people that are beta testing or the like the feedback coming back from those people? Well, they signed up for the email list, so they're interested oh, I gotcha. in, in getting the beta, so... Yeah. Do you actually get do you get a pretty good kickback on beta testers in terms of quality feedback? I've always yeah. noticed that it's hit or miss. Like sometimes I'll send out a beta and I'll get like dozens and dozens of pieces of feedback. And then other times I'll send out a beta and I get like one person. <laughs> I guess it depends like what what the new features are. Uh in this version, there's a lot of new features that people have been asking for, so that they're <laughs> super excited to just try it out. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, yeah, I guess that that makes sense because you have the new media files add-on, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's what people have been really awesome. requesting a lot. So uh, they're cool. pretty excited to try it out. Nice. I hope that goes well for you. Yeah. What have you been working on lately? Uh, this morning I was primarily doing some BBPress extensions. Uh, BBPress 2.5 came out recently, uh, which included a big new feature for like form subscriptions. 
So if you're familiar with BBPress, there's always been the ability to like subscribe to topics, and so you can get an email anytime that somebody posts a reply to a topic that you're subscribed on. But there's never been a way for someone to subscribe to a form to get notifications anytime a new topic is posted to that form. Uh, so that was that was introduced in BBPress 2.5, and so I was updating some of my BBPress extensions to take advantage of that that feature. Um, Interesting. Is is uh, yeah, so. are any of your BB Press extensions commercial or is it all just open source? No, all free? of them are free. Okay, gotcha. Most most of the BB Press extensions that I've done, I have about ten of them now. I think uh, they're almost all I built like for my own use, uh, and not to say that that couldn't be commercialized by any means, but I just I, I really liked them being free extensions, and most of them are pretty small extensions too. Like there's nothing. There's no major extension that would warrant a twenty or fifty dollar plugin, and I, I don't really like five dollar plugins. Yeah, they they tend to cause more problems than they're worth in terms of the amount of support time. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't. I have some. I have some old like five dollar plugins, and I keep meaning to pull them off just because getting like five tickets a month on them is more than they generate in revenue. Yeah, I mean, are you talking like five dollars and that's it forever? Like, yeah, that... yeah. Like, I'm oh, talking yeah. like little widgets that are like sold on Code Canyon and places like that. Yeah, and, I like, can see. A lot where... of times, I had I had done them originally just kind of for fun, uh, and and the problem with it is really that once you have a price on it, whether you want to support it or not, you should at least I personally believe you should be obligated to help people when they oh, have yeah. problems with it. Oh, the expectation um, is definitely that you have to support yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so for I gave these, you, I, I gave I, you twenty five cents. Then you must. You will help me. Yeah, you must give me the world, right? Like as soon as yeah. anyone opens their wallet, the expectation changes, right? It's just the way it yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't know. I don't think that's really wrong. I think if somebody's paying you money, they should have at least some expectation of some assistance if needed. But but anyway, so I all my BB Press extensions are free. So I was doing that. Uh, and then right now I'm kind of working on a new API for EDD. Uh, it's a, a graphing API. So we have reports in the plugin that allow you to see, like, sales and earnings. Uh, and then those those might be carried over to some extensions. So, like, for example, if you're recording commissions for multiple authors, then you might be able to see a report of, like, commissions recorded per day. Uh, but so these graphs that we built through through these reports they look really nice, but they're really horrible to implement. Like, they're hard to build. They're kind of janky. They're not flexible, etc. What, what are you uh, so using been, to build them? Are you using like a JavaScript? Uh, yeah, we're using a, a jQuery library called Flot, yep. which works really well and it looks really nice. Um, and the implementation, like the pain points, have nothing to do with Flot. It's just the way that I built it. Um, <laughs> right. I didn't build it to be flexible from day one. So what I'm building is a new graphs API that will allow an extension or somebody to basically just pass an array of data, mm -hmm. uh, one array for one axis and another array for a sec for the other axis, like x x and y, and it will just do all the graphing for you. Oh, nice. Um, so that's that's what I'm trying to build right now. Right now I'm just kind of in the figuring out how the heck to do it, how to yeah. structure it, um, and then hopefully it'll be implemented sometime soon. Yeah, I've worked a bit with Flot as well, and yeah, it's I don't know why, but it always seemed confusing or. It took me a long time painful. to figure out how it worked. Yeah, and and just like to create to get the data from PHP into into the graph 
like using flood i I found it a little cumbersome it's probably just because i wasn't used to it but uh yeah the code that i wrote wasn't that great either (laughs) mine's kind of scary looking it's a lot of javascript embedded inside of a php file and it's just not pretty (laughs) right Right. so hopefully i'm gonna fix that so that's what i've been working on cool should we jump over to our noteworthy plugins sure i don't know if they're that noteworthy they're just stuff sure we'll we'll just we'll just (laughs) yeah we'll, we'll try and call them noteworthy right this time yeah we say that because both the plugins that we chose were our own plugins today right so why don't you go and start with yours sure uh mine is called amazon s3 and cloudfront uh and this is a plugin that i forked so the plugin uh was originally called tan tan s3 a plugin by joe tan that was i think he released it in 2009 or something and uh, a couple of years ago, I forked it uh, just for my own personal use, uh, and I needed to make some changes to it. And I fixed up all the you know PHP notices and warnings and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, I'd just been using it kind of behind the scenes. Uh, and then uh, at the beginning of this year, I cleaned it up a little bit more and then released it on .org. Um, so I think I need to to look into using this plugin actually. So I have a question for you. Okay. Um, so it first of all, tell me if I'm right. It uh, it takes any any file that you upload through the media library and copies to Amazon S3, and then anytime that media library is used on the site, it pulls from S3 instead of the media library, right? Exactly, precisely. Cool. And it it does it does have to go through your server though. So it it when sure. you upload a file, it ends up on your server, and then it uploads it to S3. Sure. Does it uh, does it work with any file uploaded to the media library? And by that, I don't mean like just any file, but like let's say that I'm using the WordPress function like WP sideload image. Do those get added to the media library too? Or do they actually have to yes. go through like the WordPress admin upload screen? Uh, I believe, I'm not 100% sure on the sideloading. I've never tested that. Um, but that's basically you're downloading a an asset from a URL and sticking it into WordPress. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it does upload those to S3. I'm pretty sure anything that ends up in the media library goes to S3. Um, okay. And uh, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure on that. But I wonder if um, this is something I'd want to look into and see what would happen. Uh, so like in EDD, for example, we have um, when we upload a file to a product, we actually stick it in a special directory inside WP Content Uploads that has HD access and other protection on the directory to keep those files from being shared. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a ways to disable certain files from being uploaded? Disable them just, like, just let's from say being if, uploaded like, to I want S3 to exclude anything that is inside of the EDD directory, mm-hmm. as an example. No. There's no way to do that. I mean, you can you could definitely hook into the the hooks that are available and and sure. accomplish that in code, uh, but there's no like UI to to do that okay. yet, yet. But uh, that's sure. definitely something that could be added in the future. And a good use case would be like, say you wanted uh, all attachments to the post type uh, event, right? Any attachment mm-hmm. to events, maybe you want those to be uh, private. 
you don't want them publicly downloadable. So right. you could, maybe you could do that through a UI. That would be kind of a cool feature, I think. That would be cool. Um, All right. But, nice. uh, but anyway, yeah, so actually the story's not done. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've actually re completely rewritten this plugin uh, just a couple of months ago. So it's no longer kind of like a few fixes. Uh, it's, yeah, it's completely redone. Uh, and I actually split it out into two plugins. Uh, and so you have a, like a parent Amazon Web Services plugin on .org now. And that just houses the AWS SDK, uh, which is massive. It's 10.2 megabytes, actually. And uh, so any plugin, you know, can, can ex you know, use that as its parent plugin. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's what the uh, Amazon S3 and CloudFront plugin does. So if you install just the Amazon S3 and CloudFront plugin, it'll say, whoa, 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 <laughs> you got you need this sure. other plugin. So Amazon <laughs> S3 and CloudFront is really just an extension for Amazon Web Services. Pretty much, yeah. That's that's a good way of saying it, yeah. And so it doesn't cool. it doesn't have all the you know the bulk uh, that that it would. So say like in the future I'd like to build an Amazon SES plugin, which is uh, the simple email service that would hijack the email sending in WordPress. And, uh, and I could use the uh, Amazon Web Services parent plugin uh, for that as well, right? I wouldn't have to kind of double the efforts there. Nice. Yeah, that's very cool. I might have to give it a try and see how it works. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'm looking I'll, forward I'll... To, to keeping up with it and kind of just making it better. So, it's it's one of those. I, I think it's a, a a great like utility plugin. Like there's those plugins that are just kind of fun to use, um, provide cool little bling for your site. And then there's there's plugins like this that you've written that are really useful in terms of the overall functionality of your site, like how well your site functions, uh, keeping it as a well-oiled machine. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of other plugins out there that that work with Amazon. Sure, it's 3. it's not a new thing. Yeah, but. Uh, but the thing is, it's that the, they usually do other things as well. They're they're like, kind of like they do everything, <laughs> whereas this thing does something very very specific. And I, I try to keep it like you know very focused. Um, sure. I, I feel like plugins that like are like all in one something or other, uh, they kind of scare me a little bit because it it's like okay, but well, do I need all that stuff? And like, how much how much stuff are you running? that I don't need and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Totally. I, so, I, I love lightweight plugins and I think this would be a great example if you wanted to, uh, if you were utilizing a CDN, um, such as Amazon S3 for your stuff, but you didn't want to use something like W3 total cash that has all of that extra stuff in it. Let's say you only wanted to use it for the CDN aspect. This would be a, a great alternative. Yeah. For for some of the stuff, like if you're only doing it for media like files, obviously that doesn't take care of your um, your CSS and your JavaScript, but for your media file files, that could be huge. Yeah, exactly. So what uh, what's your plugin? Um, I chose BBPress Custom Reply Topic Notifications. Um, this is this is one of my plugins, and it's one of the ones that I actually updated this morning, uh, and, and I chose it for couple reasons. One, I, I really love BBPress. Uh, BBPress is a plugin that I really like working with. Uh, I've done 
quite a few, quite a bit of contribution to the core plugin as well. Uh, so BBPress 2.5 just came out, as we mentioned earlier, with the new form subscriptions. And so <clears throat> this plugin, BBPress Custom Reply and Topic Notifications, is one that I wrote about a year ago, I think. And it allows you to customize the email that gets sent when a reply is posted to a topic you're subscribed to. So if you have a, a topic in a form and you've subscribed to it, somebody else comes and posts a reply to it, you'll get an email that says, hey, Brad Tenard just posted a reply to this topic. Click here to read it. Well, since it, it since BBPress 2.5 introduced form subscriptions as well, uh, this, this plugin has now been extended to allow you to customize the email that gets sent out when a new topic is posted to a, a form that you're subscribed to. Uh, the reason I wanted to mention this in our in our noteworthy plugin section this morning is not because not just because I like the plugin, um, but because uh, it, a cool thing happened the, uh, yesterday. So Stephen Edgar, who is one of the core committers to BBPress, uh, he's done a lot of BBPress plugins. He does a lot of BBPress support, uh, and he does a lot of core BBPress development. He sent me a big pull request yesterday that actually added complete support for the new topic notifications. So uh, this I had I had not really had any plans to update the plugin to support topic notifications as well, um, but then Stephen just sent me this pull request that did all of it, uh, and that was really really cool. And so I wanted to feature it because it brings up that idea that topic of community driven development. Uh, just because you have written a plugin does not mean that you are the only person that can contrib contribute to that plugin. If you put your plugin up on GitHub or put it up somewhere where it's easy for other people to contribute to, it's no, there's no guarantee that somebody's going to, but it makes it a lot easier for that person that does decide to do it. And so this was a good example where Steven, who's another BBPress developer, he uses the plugin uh, and he wanted the feature, so he just went ahead and added it and sent it as a pull request. So I pushed up an update this morning that had that. So it's really a, a thanks to Steven for, for doing that. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, I, I love the idea of community-driven development, even for small plugins. Like, I work on Easy Digital Downloads every day, which has a, about 80 contributors to it now, maybe a few <laughs> more than that. But that's a, it's a huge plugin, and a, and a lot of people use it, and a lot of people are, are making a living off of it or contributing to their living in some way, so it's a little easier for people to justify contributing. This is a little tiny plugin that's been downloaded a total of, I think, 700 times. But that doesn't mean that other people can't contribute to it. Yeah, I mean, if, so, you're, if someone else is finding it useful and they need, you know, something to be changed in it, um, the best way for them to, you know, to you know take part in and contribute to it, and and then in the future, you know, you add something to it, so then they get the benefit of that, you know. So absolutely. I mean, one of the things I do uh, is I put a link on the .org page for my plugins mm -hmm. to, to GitHub saying, you know, request yep. features, report bugs, do I all do that the here. exact same thing. And I think, uh, I think a lot of plugin developers would probably benefit from that as well. Um, so if you don't have that link to your GitHub page uh, on, on Ironically, .org... I don't have it on this plugin. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So maybe it's having the reverse <laughs> effect. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, I need to really, I need to take your advice and go put a link to GitHub on this plugin. But yeah. I think I, you do bring up, seriously, you do bring up a good point, though, that if you have a plugin on .org uh, and you have that plugin on GitHub as well, put a link to it that says it's on GitHub. Uh, because I think you might be surprised at how often people are actually open and interested in contributing 
to a plugin, whether it's a bug fix or a feature addition. But the, I think the biggest reason that people don't is because it's difficult. Um, but if you make it easy by making it very apparent where they can send these submissions, and sometimes those submissions are just like language translations, which are awesome too, uh, but making it easy is huge. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you cool. need, need to close that loop. Uh, that's why, you, you know, you link to GitHub, and then on GitHub, link to .org, you know, and you make this yeah, kind of circu circular reference. The way I run the open source projects on .org and GitHub is that I, I use the issue tracker on GitHub as kind of a, like the central issue tracker. So any mm -hmm. any support uh, requests that end up in on .org in the forms, like I, I reply to them there and everything. Uh, but if it's an issue that is going to be addressed in the plugin, I'll kind of move go to it there. GitHub. I'll go yeah, to I do the exact same way. Yeah. I think of it as like GitHub is support for developers. Um, .org is support for users. So, uh -huh. uh, and, and there's some overlap for sure. But like, let's say a user reports a problem. If it's simply a not sure how to use the plugin, not sure where a setting is, I help them on .org. Now, if I find out that what they reported actually is a bug, I will go log that on GitHub and then take care of it there. Yeah, exactly. And I, I manage um, releases, like release milestones on GitHub as well. And, you yeah. know, the, the I, tools I don't do anything there. on .org aside yeah. from a little bit of user support and hosting the plugin. Yeah, exactly. Same here. I actually use uh, Scribu's scripts to... To deploy. deploy to doc, .org? Do you use those? I use one uh, from Brainstorm Media um, Paul from Paul Clark, which I think he actually forked from someone else. Okay. But it's it's all, and they're all basically the same concept. You just run a script and it takes your GitHub version and pushes it to .org for you. Yeah. Yeah. So the, Super my GitHub or my SVN history on .org is god awful, though. <laughs> uh, actually, no, it, that's not true. Um, if you ever talk to Otto, he will he will yell at you if you try and use SVN on .org as an actual version control system. Oh. Um, he he will he will tell you that they actually only want people to have one commit for versions, really? uploading version one point seven. Yep. Oh wow, that is uh -huh. very that's, that is that's the their preferred method. That's the opposite of what I, I would have guessed. Why is yep. that? Do you know? Uh, I think it's just because it's not designed to be your repository for your version stuff. Uh, okay. I mean, it's, it's simply the distribution. It's um, just, okay. Now, obviously, they have some version control in there because you can go back and download past versions. Um, and I suspect a lot of it has to do with the size. I mean, yeah. there's 28,000 plugins on .org. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah. little large. Yeah, and, I, 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 and that doesn't count the themes as well. Though technically yeah. they're in a they're in a different kind of system, but still, right. So the yeah, no, so you're actually doing it the way that they prefer. That's wow. I learned yeah. something new every day right there. <laughs> well, before we run out of time, why don't we go ahead and jump onto our next topic? Because uh, it's kind of it's a good one, and we could probably talk about it for a long time. Sure. Um, uh, unit testing. So this is actually a, one of our listeners requested this, for, and I apologize ahead of time if I pronounce your name wrong, but it was submitted by uh, Ante Sepik, uh, and he basically wanted to know about unit test, and I asked a couple things. How important are they? How important are they for plugins? Should you use them? Should you write unit tests for your plugins? And how do you write? How do you make use of unit test? Um, 
this is a really large topic, so obviously I, I, we're not going to be able to hit everything on it, but we'll talk a little bit. Uh, and I, I think it'll work well because Brad and I come from kind of two, not really two different backgrounds here, but like I am actively using unit test for a couple of my plugins, and Brad, if I remember right, you're not yet, correct? No, no I'm not. I've done all the cool. research and then just never took the plunge. <laughs> cool. So for anybody who doesn't know, a unit test is basically um, an automated test on your code base, breaking the code base up into tiny, tiny chunks. Um, so you basically will have a test that will check each of your functions. So let's say that you have a function that determines if um, if some user can view a particular page. Let's assume that you have a plugin that like restricts content or something like that. So you have a you have a function that says, "Can user view this page?" And so you will have a, a test, like an automated test that runs, and it will determine if that function is running correctly, is functioning correctly, uh, and and then you'll you'll have a unit test will, for example, test that your functions are returning appropriate values. So in EDD, for example, we have a function that calculates tax. Mm -hmm. And this function will take the tax rate set in the store settings. It'll take the current location of the customer we're ca calculating tax for. So let's say they're in, uh, in the United States in the state of Alabama. So we go look up the Alabama state. Uh, sales tax rate, et cetera, and then calculate it. So we will have a unit test that will actually use that function and pass it arbitrary amounts, so such as $54, cents, et cetera, and we'll have, a, we'll have this unit test that will pass all of these values to the function and make sure it always returns the expected value. And if the function doesn't, doesn't return the expected value, our test fails. And it shows up in your unit test report as a big uh, red thing, right? Doesn't right. It says, "Hey, we had a failure over here. We expected 3.74, but we got 5.2." Yeah. And, and so it it basically gives you an indication that there's a bug somewhere. And and the reason this is important is because maybe uh, you know you guys were working on something completely unrelated to this, but the code changed just enough that. Uh, you know, that it disrupted that function, you know, or maybe it disrupted the input into that function. Uh, and so that's why, and so you weren't even testing that function necessarily. You were testing something else. And so this, this is where, you know, unit tests are super important because they pick up these bugs uh, and the things that you haven't really tested in your, you know, your, your, your development testing. Well, let's say that your it, unit tests are really, really important for really big plugins. They're they're important for all plugins, but not nearly as important for small plugins, just because it's much easier to test them thoroughly. Um, but let's let's say that your plugin has thirty files and five hundred uh, uh, twenty thousand lines of code, for example, and you you change something, and it's like what Brad was saying. You might change something somewhere and not realize that it's going to have a consequence somewhere else. So your unit tests help catch those edge cases. Um, we actually had a, a perfect example of this in EDD recently. We were, I was working on the tax system uh, in in the plugin. I was actually rewriting it, and so we have this function that calculates the tax amount, and we used to, uh, when we store a payment, 
we would the way that we calculated the tax for that payment and then stored it in the payment meta was kind of funky. Um, but I didn't realize this. Uh, but my unit tests were failing, so I was I was creating this I was creating a purchase and I stored the tax for it, and then I was using uh, I was running a function to retrieve the the tax amount for that payment. And I was doing this through my unit test. My unit test was failing every time, and I couldn't figure out why. Well, what I realized was that the the function, the the code that actually stored the tax in the payment originally, was failing due to a change that I had made elsewhere in the tax system. But it didn't appear to fail except for in the unit test, uh, and it's something that I would have never caught if it if it wasn't for those unit tests. Huh. Interesting. Just because so, the the value was different. Is so, uh, is this function so like say this calculate tax function uh what are the parameters for that function uh so in this case it has three parameters it has uh the amount so the amount that you're calculating tax on let's say fifty dollars followed by a country and a state or province so you can you can use those to go look up the tax rates that are needed for this particular calculation right and see this is this is the big thing i i feel with with being aware of how unit testing works because sometimes you will write that function and you'll just have one parameter the amount and then in the mm -hmm. function you'll you know figure out the country from you know the database from the settings of the database and stuff but then if you do it that way it makes it very difficult to unit test that function because the database right. is an unknown value it could change and so you're right unit let's tests, say it yeah. might work correctly when you're calculating based off of the state of Alabama in the U.S., but then fail when you're working in Ontario, Canada. Right. Right. And so, having a, number one, there, writing a function that is easily unit testable is really important. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of different things that go into that. Uh, but then also just having the test that will actually go through and do run multiple tests. So when we test our calculate tax function. We actually, we do what are called assertions. Basically, we assert that some value is what we expect it to be. Mm -hmm. um, we act, will actually run an assertion on like 10 different countries slash states mm -hmm. and make sure that every single one of them comes back as we expect it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so that way, even if, regardless of what our database tells us, if we pass this value, this is what we want to get, and we want to make sure that we get that. Right. I think one of the big criticisms of unit testing, although it seems like anyone that does testers that has moved to test-driven development never comes back. Um, but but the people that criticize it are usually on on the basis that well, it's going to add like you know double the time to develop because these tests take like you know as much time to write as the code itself. Um, what do you say to that? Um, I say that the, the first time that a unit test helps you track down a bug that you wouldn't have other caught, it was worth it. Yeah. That and, uh, but it goes further than that too. Um, it's a lot easier to track down a bug, I think, when a unit test fails than it is just to track down a bug when you get a report from odd behavior. Let's say, let's stick, stick in with taxes for a moment. Let's say that a user reports that for some reason a customer was charged the wrong tax rate. And so you start thinking, hmm, how the heck do I test this? Okay, well, let's see if I can replicate it by 
I'll go through the checkout process. I'll see what tax I'm charged. Maybe I'll change my country to something else. So I'll set my tax rates up the same way the user had them. Uh, and maybe you're able to replicate it. Well, if you have really good unit test, you should have a much better idea because if one of those fails, it's going to tell you exactly where it failed and maybe it'll give you a better idea of why. When, for example, when a unit test fails, let's say it's my calculate tax test. There's 10 assertions in that test, maybe more. So when that test fails, it's going to tell me exactly which assertion failed as well. And that immediately gives me a better idea of where the bug is. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, uh, this one is huge for us. Um, unit testing is awesome. Automated unit testing, even cooler. Uh, so, like, for EDD, we have it set up with a system called Travis CI, and what it does is it runs our entire suite of unit tests every single time we make we push to the GitHub repository. Mm -hmm. so, so, every single time we push, it triggers an automa automatic run of the unit test. So, we will actually get a report any time a unit test fails. So, if we make a commit and it causes some test to fail, we will get a notice about it, and it will say, this commit made this particular test on this line number fail. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so it's a really nice peace of mind. Does it? I, I've heard that you can actually reject the push. like So you can run it actually yes, prior. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Uh, which would be huge. I, I think it's really important Like if you, were having, if you had a production code base that you're pushing to, right. and so you will have unit tests running on your production code base, or maybe it would be on your staging code base. I've never actually done this. Um, but so you would have these tests run, and if it detected a test failed, it would reject it before the commit is actually made live, before it's actually put in. Right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So, I mean, you know, tester, I, I think we could, we could go on forever about them. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I just want to, this has been a really barely touching the surface of what unit tests are, so... We might even, I might, maybe we'll have an entire episode one day that just talks about unit tests. It'd be great if we got someone, another person on that. Um, Pippin, if there's one little boy tests. or girl out there that we've changed to a unit tester, I think we've done our <laughs> <no> job. <laughs> um, but, but yes, I mean, like we, we're barely scratching the surface here of what unit testing are. But it's something, if you have a large plugin, absolutely go look at it. Um, I mean, like, the EDD code base is enormous now, and I'm so glad that we have unit tests on it. We're, we're sitting at only 33% code coverage, though. So there's a lot of code that's not that does not have a unit test written for it. Um, so I, start I early. We should mention also that WordPress Core is has a full unit testing suite that you can set oh, yeah, up. Oh, yeah, they do. And uh, run all the tests that the core developers do. So that's another place that you can. Which is really cool. Uh, I think there's a post on make.wordpress.org that actually shows how you can go and get that and how you can run the test. Um, don't be intimidated with unit tests because they can be kind of hard to set up the first time. Mostly just because if you don't fully understand and are, are not fully familiar with how the system works, it can be a little overwhelming just because it's kind of convoluted at times. Um, Power through it because once you have them set up, they are invaluable. I agree. Well, all right. Shall we wrap it up? Let's do it. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. This is episode eight of Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. We will be back in two weeks with episode nine. Thanks everyone. Thanks everybody. Woo woo.